Hi everybody and welcome to this special episode of Stack Trace, an extra episode about Apple's upcoming event, Peak Performance, where, of course, we need to play some poker and make some predictions as to what we think Apple might release during this upcoming event. And your hosts are, like always, me, John Sundell, and my good friend, Mr. Guy Rambo. How's it going, Rambo? Are you excited for Apple's upcoming events? I'm really excited, John. I'm doing great. It's really different to be recording with you on a weekend. I Did we do this at all like before? I think this is the first time we're recording on a weekend. Yeah, I don't think we've done that before at all. Like we typically record like as close to the release date as possible, which is Wednesdays by default. But of course, this is going to be a extra episode released also if everything goes according to plan <laughs> on the weekend, which yeah. is also kind of something we haven't done before. Nice, yeah. And that's because we want you to enjoy a poker game for Apple's peak performance event, which was announced right after we released the previous episode. So we had to do an extra one in order to fit it in. Yeah, typically it's our friends uh, Mike and Jason on the uh, Upgrade podcast that have this problem where they record and release their show on Mondays and Apple typically announces new events on Tuesdays. So they very often end up having to do like an extra uh, draft episode, like an emergency draft. But (laughs) this time it was our turn because we release on Wednesdays and this time the event invitation came on a Wednesday. So now it's time for an extra Stack Trace episode. Awesome. And I will admit, like for me, I, I feel like it's a little bit awkward at the moment to like be excited about an Apple event because I'm still so kind of focused and concerned and, and horrified about the, the world situation and the horrible war going on in, in Ukraine. And uh, I've been trying to now focus on the Apple event and, you know, try to be excited about it. And it's not because I'm not excited about the Apple products, it's just because my thoughts are elsewhere at the moment, and I think that's true for for a lot of people around the world. Uh, but we still wanted to do this poker episode and to try to focus in on the Apple event here because you know that's that's what our show is all about. And we do get questions from time to time, especially when there are these big world events. Like, how come we can stay so positive and be so happy when there are so many terrible things going on in the world? And the truth is, is that that usually takes quite a lot of effort for us to. Yeah you know, get in the mood, if you will, or to to be this positive and to be able to focus on the technology. But that's something that we feel like is really, really important. Like we've always wanted this show to be positive, to be hopeful, to be focused on constructive things, uh, regardless of what we're talking about. And regardless if it's like code level details or something much, much bigger than that. So we're going to try to use that same kind of philosophy here for this episode. Uh, try to be happy, try to be positive, but I just wanted to say up front, like, we're still very much thinking about uh, the people of Ukraine. We we support them as much as we can. We are very concerned about the situation going on, but we still wanted to play poker here for, for us and for all of you listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, before we start the game, let's uh, r- just do a little quick recap of the rules. So, the rules for our poker games, which is how we like to predict what Apple might announce during an upcoming event is by playing a game of poker where we have five rounds where each round we pick one uh, bet of as to what we think Apple might announce. And when we make a pick, we can bet between minus five to plus five points. And if our prediction becomes true, so if you bet plus points, that means that we think 
the thing we're betting on will be shown or announced. And if it's minus points, it's the opposite. We think it won't be shown or announced. And if we were right, we get those points. And if we were wrong, we lose that same amount of points. And in order for an item to count, it needs to actually be in the show. So it needs to be either on a slide or it needs to be spoken. It needs to be in the video stream. So it can't be like a press release afterwards or something we learn after the event through reading documentation or something like that. It needs to be a concrete announcement in the event itself. And then we have our special final round, which is the last round, where, which is called the all-in round, where whoever places the bet needs to bet five points on it. So it's a little bit more high stakes, that final round. And of course, throughout every round, the opponent can also place a bet as well. So uh, that's how we can kind of play the game and see who's going to get the most points. Uh, so Rambo, uh, did that? Did I get all of the uh, rules there? Did it, did it cover all the rules? I think that's all. So do you want to start then? Oh, wow. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I don't know what you think, John, but I, I think it's safe to assume that this event is probably going to have a Mac focus to it. That's interesting that you say that because it feels like the most prominent rumors that I've seen at least are more related to the iPhone SE and the iPad Air. Yeah, uh, I I do agree with that, but uh, I don't know, like peak performance is an iPhone SE peak performance. <laughs> I, I don't think that makes much sense. And yeah, of course, like uh, we shouldn't read too much into Apple's invitation, but that's usually true for the image. But the actual tagline for the Apple event usually does tell you a little bit about what's coming up. And I do believe that we will see quite a bit of Mac-related stuff during this event, mainly because of this name. Uh, it's a bit weird because it's not like how it's been in the past. But if you remember last year, the new iMac came in April, right? Right, but we do have to remember that the spelling of peak here is not a peak like a peak of a mountain or the peak of a curve where it's the maximum value. It's peaking as in looking through a keyhole, mm -hmm. like that kind of peaking. So maybe it's some kind of wordplay here. I don't know. It's like a pun. It's a, yeah, of course it's a pun. Yeah. It's a pun between peak and peak. I don't know if there's a big difference in pronunciation there. I think it's like the difference between man and man, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I do think we'll see at least announcements of new Macs. Doesn't mean that they will be available on the day of the event or the day after. So it could be things where they'll announce a, a new something Mac and it will be, oh, next month or in a couple of weeks or it'll be a while. Or maybe they'll at least tease a new Mac chip for Macs that are going to be announced later. But I don't think they can have an event called Peak Performance Beats, uh, peak as in uh, peaking and peak as in the top, uh, and not talk about chips or Macs or something in that regard. Like It can't be just iPad Air and iPhone SE, although I do believe they could come. But that was a general <laughs> commentary about my direction that I'm going to take during this poker game, which I might regret, we'll see, but I think I'll be picking a lot of Mac stuff here. And uh, to start my actual first bet, I'm going to 
do a little bit of a risky one to begin with, and I am basing this on a post by friend of the show Felipe from 9to5Mac that Apple is supposedly working on something called the Mac Studio, mm -hmm. which would be like a a replacement to to the Mac Mini. Uh, so I'm going to bet here that Apple is going to announce a new model of Mac that doesn't currently exist in the lineup. All right. So uh, some new Mac that has a, a, a different sort of name where... You can't say, oh, it's a, a Mac Mini or it's a Mac Pro or whatever. So I'm not betting on like, oh, they're going to announce a Mac Studio. Uh, and this could totally be like a WWDC thing, thinking about like the probably the, the target market for this computer. But I don't know. I think with Apple Silicon, they can go further than the current lineup. And I just want to ask you uh, and, and give you my opinion on... What happens if they announce an iMac Pro? Because iMac Pro does not currently exist in the lineup. Uh, can we agree that it counts if they announce an iMac Pro? Yeah, I think we can agree yeah. that it counts. Like it needs to be a new uh, name, basically, like or like a new model, like you say, that doesn't exist in the current lineup. If yeah. it did exist in the past, I think it's still okay. Yeah. But I want to just do a counterexample here. If they do like an all new design of the MacBook Air or the MacBook Pro or the Mac Mini, but it's still called any of those computers. Like it's just a new generation, a new design. It doesn't count, right? Yeah. It needs to be a brand new like name, basically that doesn't currently yeah. appear in Apple's lineup. Yeah. So uh, yeah, because if if it couldn't be a name that appeared in the past, they they could call a Mac like I don't know Mac SE and or eMac or whatever, and then I wouldn't get the <laughs> point because oh, that's not a new name. Uh, so yeah, so. Any new model that's not currently in the lineup in terms of the name of the model, not like, oh, a completely new design or something. And because I think this is quite risky, I am going to start carefully and just give it a two. All right. That is indeed a very risky bet, I think. Uh, I, I mean, like I mentioned, I've been a little bit distracted lately, so I haven't really been following the, the rumors that much, but... This seems to be a fairly recent thing that people are talking about the new Mac Studio, and it seems like something that might be further away into the future. Uh, I know you you said that you're not betting on that specific name or that specific product, but yeah, still a pretty risky bet, I would say. So I I applaud you for making this bet and for making the, the game interesting, but I'm going to give this one... I'll just give it the opposite of you. I will give it a minus two. Cool. I don't think we will see a brand new product, but as we will see with my bets coming up now, I think we might see uh, a new design or or a new kind of um, revamp of existing products. I think that's what probably we'll see at this point. Uh, so minus two for me on your bets. Great. So, so go ahead. What will we see? Uh, so I will start with something that's maybe a little bit more boring, but then work my way up, like work up <laughs> my courage, if you will. Uh, so I will say that we will see a new Mac Mini with an M2 chip. So I think that we will see a new generation of Apple Silicon chips. So I'm kind of combining two bets into one here, if you will. I'm <laughs> betting both on the M2 and on the on a new Mac Mini. I'm not betting on a new Mac Mini design, uh, just to be clear. I'm just betting on a revamp of the product with an M2 chip. Um, kind of bes besides my bet, just kind of explaining a little bit more around it, 
I think what we're very likely to see here is just the kind of refresh of the initial batch of Apple Silicon Macs that we got at the end of, was it 2020? Yeah, 2020. Uh, I think those are all kind of now uh, in, in, in a good place for being refreshed. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we also see a new kind of MacBook Pro, like a, a more entry-level MacBook Pro, a new MacBook Air, but those are not part of this particular bet. Uh, this bet is just about the Mac Mini. But regarding the M2 then, so peak performance, like you, you talked about, what can it mean? And of course, we, like you said, we shouldn't speculate too much about the name, but still, it's fun to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think what it might mean is you've seen the scalability of M1. You've seen when we take M1 and put it in a, in a Mac, and then we later launch the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, how the chip architecture scales and gives us enormous performance. Now, let's take a look at M2. So M2 already starts with great performance, even at the baseline. And now imagine what's going to happen when we turn it into a Pro and a Max variant. That's what I think peak performance might mean. It's like, it's peak performance in terms of being the fastest chip Apple has ever made. It probably will be in terms of single-threaded performance. But then it's a peak into the future of what this means for the whole Mac lineup. So that's kind of my... My kind of reading the tea leaves as to what the, the name might mean. And that's why I'm betting on this, that we will see the premiere of the M- M2 uh, chips, like the M2 architecture, and we will also see a Mac Mini refresh. And I'm going to give that one four. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, like, uh, hearing the, the general commentary around what might be announced. And I see quite a few people... Uh, talking something along the lines of, oh, it's too early for them to announce M2, but I don't think so. I think it's late, actually, uh, because M1 was released in late 2020. (laughs) So M2, uh, I think it is about time they announce M2 because in the fall, in September, they are going to release iPhones and some other stuff probably with the A16 processor. And M2, we shouldn't forget, M2 is A15, so it's last year's iPhone processor uh, upgraded and improved for Macs. So I think it's about time. Like, M2 is probably showing up during this event. I, I will be very surprised if M2 is not announced at this event. Uh, and they could call it something else, of course, but uh, I think it's fairly safe to assume that it's going to be M2. So, yeah, I think uh, your bet is a good one. And I think their strategy is going to be to start out the entry-level Macs with the next-generation chip because, I mean, it's simpler to make the small version of the chip first and then increase the size and and the die and make it more powerful and things like that. So uh, a new Mac Mini, probably with the same design as the current one, or... Who knows, maybe with a, a bit of a new design, uh, with the M2 chip might make a lot of sense. Uh, and I think it would probably be on the first crop of Macs with the M2 chip, just like they did with M1. M1 was MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, the small one, and Mac Mini. That was the first crop of Macs with M1. I think it's safe to assume that it's going to also be the first uh, crop of Macs with M2. And... I also see some people thinking, well, that's too much. Like, it's too many Macs. Why would Apple update all of the Macs? Well, remember what people were complaining about back in the day when 
Intel wasn't delivering on chips as quickly uh, as they should. Oh, this Mac hasn't been updated in three years. It's uh, dead. And, and Tim Cook had to say that Mac Mini was still a model in their lineup. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I don't think it's a big deal. Like They have the technology. Of course, there's the whole chip shortage thing. I don't know to which extent that's affecting the M2 stuff. But anyway, I think that's fairly safe to assume that whenever they have a new chip ready, they're going to throw it into the Macs that they have and, and release an updated version. Why not? Like, they they have everything they need. Just update the thing. Uh, it's just so easy. It. <laughs> yeah, just take the M1 out and put the M2 in. That's so easy. Uh, exactly. So, uh, but what I mean by that is they don't need a splashy new machine or design or necessarily new features every year. They can just update the processor. Like, People wanted them to do for a long time, and Intel didn't let them. Yeah, exactly. And and I think another important point is is something you did bring up earlier as well is view the whole kind of Apple Silicon family of chips as a platform rather mm -hmm. than as distinct separate products. So A15 and M2 and M2 Pro Max that we're probably going to get later, they're all kind of the same family, right? They're yeah. all on the same platform. So. Since Apple is doing all of that work anyway for the iPhones and the iPads and and things like that, like the whole platform is being advanced to the next generation. So it makes a lot of sense then to also keep the Macs like in that progress to to make them get the latest chip. And of course, when we joke around like we like to do with our just word, right? Like just do yeah. this, just do that. How hard can it be? Of course, usually it 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 is a significant engineering effort to adapt a existing products to use a new chip. But looking at what happened going from the A14 to A15, a very, very big improvement is not necessarily in just sheer performance, but in energy efficiency. And yeah. that's something we were seeing with Apple Silicon in general, like it's way more energy efficient. And that presumably would be easier to integrate than if you would go the other way around and make things hotter and you would have to have more cooling when you can have less cooling and you're running less hot that's presumably at least slightly easier to integrate into an existing product. Of course, always mind the thermal corner, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, I do think this is very likely, and I'm actually going to go with a 5 for this one. All right, so you're outbetting me on my own bet. That's yeah. been your strategy for the last couple of poker games, Rambo, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a fun strategy. All right, so great stuff. Uh, we're uh, done with round one. Let's move on to round two. What's your second pick? So uh, I am going to... I, I just mentioned that they don't need to get a splashy new design every year, and I, I, I don't think they need to get a splashy new design every year. But let's think about what's been happening on the Apple Silicon transition. We first got the existing Macs that we already had, the same external design, uh, more or less same parts and, and all of that, but with updated internals with the Apple Silicon line of chips. And uh, then later, Apple started to actually update the product itself around the new capabilities and the new flexibility they get with their own processors. And the first Mac to get that treatment was the new iMac, the 24-inch iMac with a new design with lots of colors, really thin, and people seem to really like that one. And then came the new 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros with 
this new design that looks a bit retro and is uh, thicker and heavier and focused on performance and inputs and outputs. So I think the whole lineup is going to get this treatment eventually. I think the old, and I'm making air quotes here because they're not all of the designs are old necessarily, but the current design, the current external design of the Intel Macs is based on what they could do with Intel chips. And I think they really want to show what they can do with Apple Silicon chips. So my next pick goes in that direction, and I'm going to pick that there's going to be a new MacBook Air with a significant design change. All right, taking the bet that I was just about to take uh. if uh, you didn't do that. But that's <laughs> fine, because the format of our poker game allows for that. Like, I mean, not just allows, but it, you know, I can bet on your bets too, so yeah. it's great. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think it makes sense. Like, I've been thinking about this for, for quite a while, and people are probably tired of hearing me talk about this, but I, I do think... It doesn't make sense for the MacBook Air to be like it is with the Apple Silicon chip. I think they can do a much more interesting design. And I think it's really cool that there's this differentiation between lineups now, where previously the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pros, they, they looked pretty much the same, like they were very similar. And the whole thing with the MacBook Air back in the original MacBook Air was this ultra-thin, for the time, of course, ultra-thin design, and it fits in an envelope and all of that cool stuff. And if you look at what the Air name means right now in the iPad lineup, it's like the powerful and beautiful, but also the fun iPad with all of the color options. So I think the, the MacBook Air should be like that for the Mac lineup. I don't think people who get a MacBook Air, they don't want extreme raw performance, even though you kind of get that with the M1 MacBook Air. Like, I got the pretty much entry level with 8 gigs of RAM MacBook Air here, and I, I worked on that machine with Xcode and all of that stuff for quite a while. So it's a really powerful machine, but I think they can do a really cool design for the MacBook Air. Think something that kind of looks like the new iMac, the 24-inch iMac from last year with colors and straight edges, maybe uh, smaller bezels on the screen. I don't think a, a notch necessarily on the screen, but whatever. I, I think they can do more with the MacBook Air and especially colors. Like, Apple, please bring back colors to, to Macs. Uh, and I think this will also make a lot of people who miss the 12-inch MacBook Adorable, as uh, Casey would call it, uh, I, would make those people really happy to get a new MacBook Air with a really cool new design with color options and without needing to compromise on performance or thermals because they don't have to because it's Apple Silicon. Yeah, exactly. And especially, like I mentioned earlier, moving to M2, if M2 inherits that additional power efficiency from the A15, right? Like that yeah. would just give them even more flexibility to make the product thinner, you know, still don't have any active cooling and just like, yeah, probably innovate a lot on the external design. Uh, I agree with you. I, I think we're very likely to see a more kind of modernized, maybe even more compact MacBook Air 
but I still think that it will probably retain that wedge shape because I feel like that's such a big part of the MacBook Air brand that, uh, you know, people look for kind of the, that wedge shape, like that classic look where it's so much thinner on one side than the other. And that also like gives them still the flexibility to put like the components that need more space, for example, the battery inside of that thicker part in the back while still kind of making things really, really nice and thin. And definitely shrunken bezels, improved display and so on, I think is definitely something to expect. So uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, the MacBook Air is a great candidate for showing off the power of Apple Silicon, not just in terms of performance, but in terms of the form factor as well. Yeah, I think the wedge shape is is more or less necessary to some extent because, like you mentioned, the battery. And uh, I think the thermal corner problem is not as pressing right now because they're not going to put... I, I, I'm going to say never, and you should probably never say never, but I don't think they will ever put like a, an M2 Pro or Max in the MacBook Air. It's not the computer for that. And I don't think they want to regress in future chip generations in terms of thermal outputs and efficiency. I don't think they want to make regressions in that regard. So I think the tendency is that future chips are going to be even more efficient and more powerful. Uh, so And of course, they do need a bit of headroom in there for like if there's a little bit of a difference in terms of power, they might need to increase the battery a little bit. They... With the iPhone, they've always done this. There are years where they can reduce the battery because the the chip is more efficient, and some years they need to increase the battery a little bit to account for the chip. So they do need a bit of headroom in there for, for those sorts of things. And for this uh, particular bat, I'm going to give a three. All right. I am going to outbet you Ooh. just like you did uh, with me last round. So I'm going to give this one a four. Uh, I feel like it's it's very likely. Uh, of course, you you can never say something is granted, and we never know what Apple's actual plans are. And especially, I feel like with this event, even though there's been a lot of kind of rumors and whispers, and we know what's kind of on the horizon with things like the VR headset eventually and those sorts of things, but you know, it, it doesn't feel like we know anything concrete what's going to come in this particular event. So that's very exciting. So. Yeah, let's let's go with a four for me for this one. Awesome. All right, so for my second round then, well, I was planning to be adventurous here and go with that new design. And as you see, I, I did place a good bet on it, which means that this for this bet now I can go a little back to be a little bit more safe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no such thing as a safe bet, but you know what I mean. Uh, I'm going to bet that we will see a new iPhone SE and that the primary features of the new iPhone SE will be a new chip, so... Presumably, it's going to be the A15, uh, and that it will support 5G networking. It will kind of be just a modernized iPhone SE. Um, let's also make things a little bit more interesting here, so it's not too boring, and say that I think it will also retain the same design as the current generation has. So it won't get, like, no home button and face ID instead of touch ID. I feel like it will retain the same design. It will just be modernized and upgraded with the latest internals, with the latest networking, and that will be the new iPhone SE. That, that's what I'm betting on. Sounds like a pretty safe bet. Uh, although you did add a bunch of qualifiers that might make it a little bit less safe. Uh, and you kind of combined, right, a bunch of uh, picks we had here. 
But I do think you're going to get this one. So it will be an iPhone SE. It's going to have a new chip, probably the A15. Well, it's not new necessarily, but new for the iPhone SE. The latest. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's going to retain the same design. I think that's uh, really safe to assume. And uh, I do have like a very theoretical uh, question because I don't think this is happening. But just uh, so that we can start to solve this conundrum here what <laughs> if they release an iphone se with an a15 and 5g and the same design as the current generation but they also release an iphone se plus with the iphone 8 plus design uh in my opinion i think that should still count because it's still the same design yeah well i, I mean those are two different products right if they do both then i still get the bet yeah. because my bet actually happened. It's just that more things happened, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying that this will be the only iPhone product released at this event, right? <laughs> like, if they release the iPhone 14, like, surprise, then, <laughs> <Wow>. you know, <laughs> still, I'm going to get this bet. Cool. If, if they also do the iPhone SE, that is. So, yeah, just the iPhone SE, just for this model. If there are multiple SE models, then that's great, but that's not the bet. And how many points are you giving this? I will go with four. It feels like four is my is my bet for this this round or for this game of poker. But yeah, four points for the new iPhone SE. It's a five for me. <laughs> All right, this is so interesting. This yeah. is fun how we're betting. Yeah, maybe I should have given it five, but I'll stick with my four. It feels good. Yeah, because for me, like the iPhone SE, that's what it is. It's the iPhone for people who don't want all the bells and, and whistles. They don't want the super advanced camera, lighter, whatever. They are used to the home button design. I know people like to comment, like people on our circle comment that, oh, but this is old, it looks old and clunky. But the people who buy an iPhone SE, they don't care. Like they just want an iPhone and they want to have the latest performance and be able to run all of the apps and get software updates for it for a long time. But they don't care about all of the other stuff. And it allows Apple to have a less expensive option in the iPhone lineup while still providing all of the benefits of the latest generation of chips, the latest networking and software updates for the foreseeable future. So yeah, this is this is what iPhone SE means and I think they're going to stick to that. Yeah, and it also has other benefits as well. Like it is smaller, it is a lot lighter. Like the one of the major downsides I think of the latest uh, iPhone Pro models like the iPhone 13 Pro that I have now is that it's so heavy. And, uh, you know, it's not like causing me any problems or anything like that. But, you know, once you pick up an older iPhone, like an iPhone 8 or an iPhone 10, you're like, whoa, this is like like Air. It should be called the iPhone Air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's our two first rounds done. Let's move on to round number three. So what's going to be your third pick, Mr. Rambo? So I am going to pick here that Apple is going to talk about their new Apple classical music service. Uh, and I'm not betting on any particular names for, for the service. Probably going to be Apple Music Classical or something like that. Uh, but they've acquired the service for that. And it, it's, it hasn't been a secret. Like They pretty much announced it already, but it hasn't been released yet. And I think they might be ready to talk about it a little bit more. So that's uh, my pick. They're going to talk about and maybe even announce a release date for their classical music service. All right, interesting. And can you give us, give us a little bit more context around this? Like you said that they've already announced this. I mean, they announced the acquisition, but have they made any 
concrete announcements as to how it will be integrated into the Apple service ecosystem? Yeah, so the service they acquired was the Prime Phonic service. And as far as I know, and according to, to the press release, uh, which I don't have in front of me, but I remember reading that, they pretty much said that they're going to have a separate app for classical music. And many people don't understand why that's the case, but I, I do know a few people who are into classical music. And the thing is that the hierarchy that's used to organize regular music, like the music we, we tend to listen to, pop music and, and things like that, is like artist, album, music. And then there's playlists and things like that. But for classical music, it's completely different. It doesn't make sense to organize music like that. So basically, there's no simple way to just shove it into the regular Apple Music service in a way that makes sense for people who are really into this stuff. And it's quite niche, but I think it's a, a significant niche where Apple wants to, to have their part in there. And it makes, I don't know if it's going to be built into your regular Apple Music subscription or if it's going to be a separate thing, but I think it just makes Apple services more valuable to certain people. And uh, I think that's why they're doing it. And as far as I know from the, the stuff we've seen, they are going to have a new app that's just for classical music. All right. So your bet then is that they will just talk about it or are you making any concrete bets around what the actual product will look like? No, I don't want to bet on the product itself. It's just that they will unveil the the service like they will announce the service finally all right and how many points i'm going with a three for this one just because i'm not certain that they are going to talk about services during this particular event yeah this one is tricky because like you said there's been some news about it already not just rumors but actual like announcements and and things like that like we know that something is coming but uh, the question is, is this the right event for it? And traditionally, Apple has been more focused around music in the fall, like in or in the Northern Hemisphere fall, I should say, <laughs> uh, because Rambo, you are going to go into fall now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is always so funny to me how it works <laughs> like that, but that's because the earth is round, right? So um, I think in like their October event or something, that's when they typically talk more about music and, and these types of products. Like we saw the new AirPods being announced at the end of last year and so on. Uh, and Apple Music and, and these podcast related announcements tend to be more uh, at that time of year. So... I will give this one a one. I don't want to go minus on it. I just don't have any really good sense of if this will be announced or not. So I'll, I'll share on the positive side with a one, but I don't have any more kind of bets to make there. So <laughs> a one for me. So I pulled up the press release and because I pulled this up while you were commenting on it, I'm going to let you change your bet if you want to after I read this phrase and give you this information because I think it might change your your view of it. So just to be completely fair here, but I want to say this for our listeners so for people who are not uh, familiar with what's happening. So uh, in the press release, which was released back in August 2021, there's this comment uh, from Apple. Apple Music plans to launch a dedicated classical music app next year, combining Primephonic's classical user interface that fans have grown to love with more added features. So I, I think it sounds like something where... And again, 
the just thing, <laughs> but it sounds <laughs> like they're just taking the Primephonic app, giving it an Apple reskin, and like pulling in the Docker containers into their services. And of course, this is I'm simplifying a lot <laughs> here, but it's it doesn't sound like they tore everything down and are building everything from the ground up. It sounds more like an acquisition where they're really taking the stuff that was already there and and making it apples. So it feels to me like something they could definitely be ready to to launch by now. But again, the the big thing is will they talk about this in the event? I think that's the big question. Exactly. Like will they talk about it at all or will it just be a press release or will it be in this event or in some other event? Yeah. I'm actually going to stick with my one. I feel like that's that's my bet for this one. Thanks for that additional information and the transparency and honesty. I always really appreciate it. But uh, I think I'll, I'll stick with my bet. It, it should always be a fair game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this week's episode of Stack Trace is brought to you by Sentry. Sentry helps iOS developers monitor the performance of their code. With Sentry, you can quickly identify performance issues. And whenever an issue was detected, then you will get the full end-to-end distributed trace info so that you can see exactly where a poor performing API call was made and what caused it. With Sentry, you can detect and measure anything from both cold and warm app launches, slow frame rendering, freezes, and other UI glitches, and much more, so that you can then improve your mobile app's performance for maximum efficiency without requiring maximum effort from you and your team. So head over to sentry.io slash four slash iOS or just use the link that's in the show notes to help support this podcast and to try Sentry for free for your iOS app. And if you use our special promo code STACKTRACE during signup, then you will get to use Sentry for free for three whole months. Once again, that's sentry.io slash four slash iOS, or just use the link that's in the show notes. And remember to use that offer code STACKTRACE when signing up for that special three-month offer. Thanks a lot to Sentry for sponsoring this episode of Stack Trace. All right, so that was your third bet. Now it's time for my third bet. And I'm going to go back to the uh, existing products get a 5G makeover <laughs> category and say that I think we're going to get a new iPad Air, uh, also with a new chip and with 5G connectivity. Uh, I'm not going to bet much on the appearance or anything like that, like the design, but I think it's fair to say that I don't think they're going to change the design again because they just did it, was it last year? Last mm-hmm. year, right? Where they went with for the iPad Pro-like design for the iPad Air. Uh, but I think an iPad Air refresh would be great to see. Uh, just kind of a spec bump, I guess we like to call it, with new networking and new internals. So that's going to be my third bet for a new iPad Air. And I'm going to give this one a four as well, <laughs> just kind of sticking with my strategy of giving everything a four. Yeah, and and actually I was looking this up here and apparently the current iPad Air was actually released back in 2020. So... Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, Time flies. <laughs> exactly. I mean, especially in the past two years, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, uh, yeah, so it, it really needs uh, an update. And again... I think this is a prime example where it definitely does not need any design changes. Like it's a brand new design. It's been released in in late 2020, so people still love it. Maybe they they add like a a few different colors or something. But I do think your bet is quite safe. 
and uh, there's no reason for them not to just give it a new processor and 5G connectivity, which I, I would say like maybe if the only update was the processor, they may not even talk about it because it's uh, like not that big a deal. But 5G, man, Apple loves... <laughs> Gotta talk about it. 5G, yeah. So 5G, 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 they're definitely going to talk about that. Well, I was going to say there when you said that maybe they won't talk about it if it's just a chip update. But remember, like, for the last three or four times they updated the base iPad model, it's basically, like, identical, but with just a new chip. And they still spend, like, 15 minutes talking about <laughs> it, like, if it's a brand new product, which, you know... Like we've talked about before, I think it's great that they are keeping the products up to date. It's fantastic. But it's just funny how it's like the brand new iPad. But really, the only thing that has changed is that it has a new chip. But, you know, anyway, it's good, right? That That's why people make fun of Apple. Like, <laughs> there's these <laughs> memes where like, oh, the new I iPhone and the old iPhone is just like, oh, cut a camera and paste it in a different orientation. The new iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's why why people make fun of, of Apple for that. But yeah, I, I do agree that they definitely should keep things up to date. But yeah, I, I don't think they should spend like 15 minutes talking about this exact same product with just a new processor. Uh, unless there's like some big deal about what the processor achieves, which I, I guess is their take on it, right? They always bring like these pro apps people and artists and things like that to talk about, oh my God, with the A15, I can now do so much more. Uh, but yeah, in reality, like most people probably, if definitely, absolutely, if you have the existing iPad Air, unless 5G is a really big deal for you, you should probably just keep it and not update if they release a new one. And uh, I am going to give this one a five. All right. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're both keeping with our strategy here, it seems. <laughs> uh, the only big question here is like, will it be called the M1? Because the iPad Pro now has the M1, or will it just be called the A15? Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question there. I'm not going to bet on either of those. Like, it's not like part of the bet. But I think it's fairly likely that they will just say it's the M1 because I don't think so. you know it seems like you don't think so. No, I don't think so. Uh, it's a it's a marketing thing. M M1 is for the iPad Pro lineup, I think. Uh, which again, like it, it's pretty much the same chip. Like uh, there might be more differences. Uh, and I I mean, if it is the A15 chip, then it's the M2. It's not the M1. Uh, so, oh, right, right. Uh, like, oh, here's the new iPad there with the M2 chip and the iPad Pro still has the M1. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, unless they go with the M1 Pro for the iPad Pro, that would be kind of nuts, but who knows? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I think the a M versus A thing in the iPad lineup is a, a big differentiation point for the iPad Pro lineup. I don't think they would call the iPad Air chip M, whatever. But wouldn't it have to be then A15X or something like that? Like, does the current iPad Air run just the base A14 or A13? Or do you remember what exact chip it's running? Oh, the current iPad Air actually uses just a regular A14 chip. So it's not X. Oh, or, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's very likely then. then. Then I think you're right. A15 would probably be the most likely chip. Like, just a plain A15. Actually, wasn't there a thing, was it in 2020? Again, the past two years are a blur, but th there was a year, maybe it was 2020 or maybe it was 2021, where they released a new iPad with the new 
a chip that was going to be on the iPhone, but the iPad came before the iPhone, so they didn't talk too much about the chip because they didn't want to spoil the details of the chip before. I think this was 2020. So they announced, yeah, yeah, they had a September event, but there was no iPhone in September. The iPhone came in October, and in the September event, they announced the iPad Air, but they actually only released the iPad Air after the iPhone because they didn't want to spoil the chip, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiling the chip by including it in an iPad before an iPhone. That's just so funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. So that's the third round. Let's now move on to the fourth round. All right. So I think uh, we can start getting a little bit into the more interesting stuff. Not not that the previous stuff was not interesting, but I'll, I'll do a bit of a wild one here, and I am going to bet that assuming new Macs are announced, which uh, we pretty much assumed throughout this game... Otherwise, we're going to get all the way to Minus Town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least one of the new Macs announced is going to have a center stage camera. All right, center stage on the Mac. Yeah, like... I was kind of offended when they announced the new MacBook Pro uh, 14 and 16 inch without center stage. Because, like, where are most people having online meetings and video conferences? At least the pros, they are having them on their Mac. Like, when I have online meetings, it's always on my Mac. And I don't know if you've tried, but I've tried to use my iPad mini, which has a center stage camera for online meetings. But because of the way the camera module is positioned on the iPad, it looks awful. Like, not because of center stage, but in general, because you, if you look, if you put the iPad centered on a table, like you would use a, a Mac and you look at the screen, it will look like you're looking sideways because the camera is to your side and it, it's too much looking up like from under your chin. So it looks really awful when you try to use an iPad in that configuration, like in a laptop configuration for online conferencing. I don't know how people do that. I, I mean, I guess you have to have the iPad to your side and look directly into the sensor, but that doesn't... Or you just hold good. it. Yeah, like you hold it in portrait uh. orientation. That's how what I usually do. Like when I have a conference call or a video call either on my iPhone or my iPad, I always hold it in my hand, like, you know, hold out my hand so that people can see me well. And I treat it like like a portable, holdable device and I hold it in portrait orientation. Yeah, but that's not very practical. Like, especially if it's actually like a quote, serious business meeting where you have to be, like, typing or looking stuff up or sharing your screen. It's not very practical. So, yeah, for casual, like, FaceTiming and things like that, it works great. But I really want Center Stage on the Mac as well. I don't know why it's not there yet. There's probably some technical reason that I don't know about, but... Come on, like, it, it's time. Uh, we talked about, like, a new MacBook Air. I think that would be a great candidate for a center stage camera. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to bet on that. Um, it's more of a wishful bet than anything else. But And also, like, something else that I just remember, like, the entry-level iPad, the iPad nothing has center stage. And these, like, $5,000 Macs, don't so yeah please apple center stage on the mac 
it's time and because uh, it's more of a wishful bet, I'm just going to give it a two. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was, I was thinking there, what is he going to do? Like, are you going to say, I am so much wishing for this, I'm going to give it a five. <laughs> but, you know, you were at least like going a little bit more strategic there, which is probably good. Uh, but yeah, so the point of center stage, isn't it more that you should be able to move around while you're having the conference call? So the idea is that you place the iPad on like the kitchen counter, for example, and then you can move around in the kitchen while you're talking to someone. Uh, I feel like on the Mac, I'm not so sure if it's like the exact same use case. Don't get me wrong. Like I would also love to see it, but I'm feeling that usually, I, I, at least for me, when I'm having a video call on my Mac, I just have the laptop in my lap and I just look at into the camera and I don't feel like I would need center stage in that configuration. Um, but it would be great. I think especially on the iMac, it would be fantastic because you look at Apple's marketing for the latest iMac, it was a lot like, oh, you can place this in your living room or in the kitchen or anywhere else where yeah. you maybe traditionally wouldn't have a computer and they can be kind of the family computer in that sense. Like having center stage in that context would be amazing, but I don't miss it so much like on a laptop personally. You do online meetings with the laptop on your lap? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I don't know, like, uh, it's just not the way I do it. I, I just leave it on the table like I usually do. But, like, my use case for it is more like longer form meetings. And specifically, I record this uh, podcast, this Brazilian podcast in Portuguese. We record every week and we do the recording live on, on YouTube. And we do it with our cameras on most of, of the times. And... It's really uncomfortable because you have to sit still for like two hours while you're recording because if you move your head even a little bit, then the framing is all off. And if the, I could have center stage doing those framing corrections, also think about like the people who do these uh, YouTube tutorial videos where they show their camera while they're doing the tutorial, like it's... It's nice to be able to move your head. <laughs> and like sometimes when I'm having an online meeting, uh, I will have want to have a sip of water and then all of a sudden uh, people are looking at my chin. Again, like I don't like people looking at my chin, John. And <laughs> this should just be the, the no chin mode, uh, camera mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some reason, whenever like I move, it's always like my chin that shows up in the camera. So I, I don't know. I think I, I do agree that it's way more useful on something like an iPad or uh, an iPhone for the I mean there's no not there's no center stage on any iPhones but on an iPad or on an iMac uh, for the cases you mentioned but now that they have that I think it's time to also bring it to the Mac even though the use cases are fewer and less often used I think it's time. Like it's already in the places where it makes the most sense. So bring it to the place where you don't think it makes as much sense, but just bring it. Well, I think, you know, it's fair to say that the Mac camera situation has been lagging behind the iOS camera situation in so many ways for a really long time, right? Yeah. Like, it's still like a 1080p camera, but now it's like it has better image processing and so on. So, I mean, it's not still a 1080p. It's finally a 1080p because it was 720 right. for the longest time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it, this is like, 
now we're I feel like we're getting this bare minimum, if you will, like looking from the outside. I'm not saying that it's so easy and they should just put a 4K camera with HDR and center stage and everything in there. It's probably like technically difficult, especially considering in the laptops where the lid is so thin. Yeah, I think the main problem is depth, right? So right. I do think your idea of having it on an iMac is more likely. Exactly. And that's why I'm thinking I'm I'm definitely not expecting uh, an iMac refresh uh, on on this event because the iMac is still very recent, the new generation. So yeah, I guess uh, with all of this context, I should actually say what my bet is, <laughs> and I'm going to do the same thing I did earlier in the show where I did the inverse of your bet. So you gave it two, I'm going to give it minus two. It will be funny if we end up with zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything just kind of equals equals itself out. Yeah. And again, I just want to make it clear. It's not that I don't think this would be useful. I would love to see it. It's just, you know, everything is a matter of priorities, right? And we all wish that we could get this perfect product with everything that we ever wished for for a super low price, but it just doesn't exist, right? So yeah. it's all about the trade-offs, like always. And here is just like, what do I personally think is the most important for these products? And yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm betting on. Yeah, you did mention uh, an iMac refresh, and I do agree that it's probably a bit too early, but I wouldn't be entirely surprised if they refresh the existing 24-inch iMac with an M2 chip, if they are going to announce the chip. Uh, just that, like just the same iMac, but now it has the M2 chip. May even not come up at the event, but after the event, people refresh the Apple Store online and they see, oh, the iMac is now available with the M2, M2 chip. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I guess, you know, the, the logic there would be maybe they treat it the same way as the iPhones, where when they refresh the iPhone lineup, they refresh all of them at the same time with the new chips, right? Yeah. So maybe they will treat the Mac the same way going forward once everything is on Apple Silicon. Yeah, we'll see. All right, but now it's time for my fourth bet, the last one before the all-in round. And I'm going to go with, I think that the... Entry-level MacBook Pro will drop the touch bar. Ooh. I think that we will see a refreshed version of the entry-level MacBook Pro. I still think it will probably keep like the same design. I think it will use like the MacBook Escape, as we like to call it, uh, back in the day, uh, where there was the current uh, form factor of the MacBook Pro that the M1 version is using as well, like the one before, the ones that recently came out with the Pro and the Max chips. Uh, but that didn't have the touch bar. So I think that's is what we're going to see because I think it's clear that the touch bar is is done. It will not be long for this world. Uh, you can have different opinions about that. I was never a fan, so <laughs> I'm kind of welcoming this uh, new no-touch bar era. Uh, and I think that Apple just wants to move away from it because it wouldn't make sense to keep the touch bar in just one product, which is that entry-level MacBook Pro, which is already kind of a, a little bit of a strange product in the lineup. But I still think that product needs to exist to hit that particular price point, to be a product for for context like education, where you don't want to have like this top of the line M1 Pro Max based computers that both you and me have. Um, so I think this product will stick around, but I, I think the touch bar will be removed. So that's what I'm betting on. A new entry level MacBook Pro will probably run the M2 and it won't have a touch bar. Cool, uh, but the M2 part is not part of your bet, right? It's not. Right. I mean, I think that's pretty much a yeah. given, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, because. 
you know, why would they refresh it? They wouldn't refresh it just to remove the touch bar. That would be a strange refresh. Unless it would be silent, and then I wouldn't get this bet anyway, right? If they would just update the web page later, the store, with a new version that doesn't have the touch bar. So I think they will probably mention it, and then they will need to have something positive, not just, oh, we removed the touch bar, and that positive thing will very, very likely be the M2. So... Let's just say we include the M2 as well. Why not? All Let's right. have some fun. So a new entry-level MacBook Pro with an M2 and no touch bar. And how many points? Let's go with three for this one. Not as confident as with yeah. the other bets. So I'm going to give this one a three. So I have a lot of stuff to say about this. Uh, All so right. Le- let's go with touch bar first. I do agree uh, that it's really weird to have this one product in the lineup that has the touch bar. And again, like you mentioned, it's a weird product, and I'm going to talk more about this in a bit. And I I do think they're going to remove it. The thing I think is interesting is the situation this leaves them in in terms of software, because there's all of this API on macOS. It's a huge API surface. Like There's the API surface for developers, and there's also the uh, private API surface. The API surface for the touch bar is immense. Like there's a lot of touch bar stuff on on AppKit and then throughout the the whole OS. So they would have to clean that up probably. But you know where the touch bar is also used? On the sidecar displays. Yes. And that leaves them in a really weird situation. And again, I'm not saying that they won't remove the touch bar because of this. Like they, they probably will, but what happens? Like because there's this touch bar on Sidecar. There are quite a few apps on macOS that take advantage of the touch bar. Not as many as people would have liked when the touch bar was a thing, but there are a lot, and especially Apple's own apps. So there's probably a significant number of users who actually rely on that touch bar on Sidecar. So that's probably going to just sit there and rot <laughs> with time. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with all of that API surface that relates to touch bar stuff and the tiny bit of usage it will still get on sidecar because I I find it hard to see Apple just like yanking it out of sidecar completely uh, because I think many people would probably be mad. Yeah, and the thing is that the, the awkward thing about the touch bar I think all along has been that developers can never assume that every Mac has a touch bar because it's been so completely divided in the lineup like this the desktop computers like the iMac and the Mac Pro and so on they they never got the touch bar in any shape or form uh, the laptops like some had it some didn't have it of course there are older models that doesn't have it so i think you know the, re- the one of the reasons why it quote unquote failed was that you could never kind of assume that it was there which means you could never really fully buy into it like build an app around the concept of the touch bar like you can with a iOS app where you're just building the whole app around the concept of touch. Yeah, but to be completely fair, like you didn't have to to worry about that. Uh, so it became like a problem of prioritization, uh, of course. Yeah, because, yeah exactly. Yeah, but but uh, in terms of what the code you would have to write in your app, you didn't have to think about that. Like you would just work when there's a touch bar and where when there's no touch bar, you could just didn't do anything and it's not like your app would crash if you assume the Mac had a touch bar or something. No, of course not. But I'm bringing this up to say that there are no apps out there that could assume that this app is for the touch bar, yeah. right? Like this this Mac app only exists because of the touch bar. Like those apps, there are no such apps, which means in this case that if they were to move away from the touch bar, 
gradually, like, you know, stop building new computers with it, and then eventually maybe remove it from Sidecar, that wouldn't be such a big deal. I mean, I know there are people out there who like it, and that that's that's too bad. Like, if you, if you like it, I wish that there was a way for you to be able to keep using the touch bar, because I don't like taking away things from people who, who like them just because I don't happen to like them. <laughs> but... Um, the thing is that it wouldn't be such a big disruption on the overall Mac ecosystem because, again, no apps could assume that there was always a touch bar, which means that they can always work without it. So that just makes me more confident that Apple would be mil- willing to make this change. Yeah, th- that makes sense. And just to finish this uh, touch bar discussion, uh, I was thinking here that the biggest mistake that Apple made with the touch bar was to... And again, I know I'm not saying there's an easy way out, but the biggest mistake was using it to replace something. So they tried to replace the uh, initially the escape key and all of the function keys with the touch bar and then they br- brought the escape key back, but I think the main problem was that it, it was trying to replace something. And I I think that's what made it off-putting for most people. Uh, if it was an addition, like something extra, something uh, that would add more stuff instead of remove something, I think it would have been more successful. But again, I don't know how they could have done that. I, I don't have a solution like that. There's only so much space on, on, on the top case of, of a Mac. Yeah, exactly. And to speak of the, the MacBook uh, Pro itself, why is, this a, why is this MacBook Pro? What makes it Pro? Well, it's not a MacBook Air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I don't know. Um, so the way I see it, you mentioned uh, that it would be weird if they announced uh, a refreshed version and the only new thing was it doesn't have a touch bar. Yeah, it's the new MacBook not Air. <laughs> yeah, so I'm thinking a, a way out for Apple and something that would be very Apple-y for them to do would be to completely forget that this MacBook Pro exists and announce a new MacBook. Here's the new 13-inch MacBook with the M2 chip and this full-size keyboard with a mechanical feeling and whatever. And then the online store refreshes and the MacBook Pro 13-inch is gone and there's the new MacBook. I like it doesn't make any sense for this product to be called MacBook Pro. Again, uh, not that Apple's naming makes a lot of sense most of the time, but it would be a way out for them to get rid of the touch bar without making it a thing, without like having to. Of course, they would never actually say it, but. Oh, they did say it, though, when they introduced uh, the new yeah. MacBook Pros, uh, the 14-inch and the 16-inch. But that was another type of audience, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it might be the case that there is no entry-level MacBook Pro with the M2 chip and no touch bar because it's been renamed to MacBook. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that makes perfect sense, but I, I'm just looking at what Apple has been doing for the last couple of years, and it's been pretty clear that this MacBook Pro kind of, for some reason, needs to exist, whether it's to cater to a specific kind of market, whether it's education or something else, maybe companies buying these computers. But it would still exist. It would just not have the Pro in the name. And maybe that Pro in the name is important to certain customers. I don't know. Like It's, <laughs> it's hard to, to see the logic behind it because I agree, just looking at it from our perspective, from the outside, not knowing anything about the stats, 
it just seems so strange. Like, why would this MacBook Pro exist that isn't really... Like, we used to call my old Intel-based computer the non-pro MacBook Pro, right? Mm -hmm. And this is even more kind of non-pro MacBook Pro. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, I think the... You're right there. The reason this product exists is to fill in a slot in the lineup that needs to be there for education or a certain type of customer. Uh, it just doesn't have to be the MacBook Pro. It's also weird, like, just as we have currently the HomePod Mini and there's no HomePod, like, what is it a Mini of? If, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's the HomePod yeah. Mini, but okay, so where's the HomePod Biggie? Uh, <laughs> and the MacBook Pro, there's the MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air, and what what is the MacBook Pro a pro of, and what's the MacBook Air an Air of, since there's no MacBook? <laughs> I think maybe, Rambo, you're overanalyzing this a little bit. <laughs> I think maybe it doesn't... There's no, like, system to be found. Like, there's uh. no sense to be made, unfortunately. I, I feel like it's just... It's just named the way it is because it's named the way it is, unfortunately. Like, it's it's the same with the iPhone lineup, though. Like, the iPhone lineup is getting a little bit more, like, it feels like it makes a little bit more sense over time. Now that it's more like, you know, there are these phones that come out at the same time and they all fill kind of a slot and the naming is all right, even though, you know, you might have uh, different disagreements with it. But the Mac lineup is, is definitely all over the place when it comes to naming. Yeah, I, I think the the lineup that makes the most sense to me is the iPad lineup, where you have iPad, iPad Air, iPad is like the baseline, the, the simple, the quote cheap one. iPad Air is the fun one with a little bit more features and, and different design. The iPad mini is a smaller version. And then there's the iPad Pro, which has features that Pro users want. So I think that's like a lineup that kind of makes sense. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm trying here with my robot brain to parse these naming conventions. But I think if there's a time to change things, it's now when they're doing this transition. Uh, it's more easy to justify changing names right now. That's why I kind of hope that they'll do something about it uh, and make it easier for us. Because the, the main reason why... People like you and me and, and probably a lot of our listeners care about this sort of thing is because we are usually the people who like our parents or friends or family come to ask about these products. Yeah. And the, some of this naming makes it really confusing for, for people who are, who are not familiar with all of the tech. And, and we have to try to explain it for them. So that's why we try to, to wish here that Apple would make it simpler for us to, to explain. And... After all of that, and, and I'm sorry for <laughs> talking so much about this uh, naming thing, but I'm going to give this one a three. All right, so same as me. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, looking forward to speculate even more about this just in a couple of days when we actually <laughs> get to see these products, because then we'll have a lot more to say. This week's episode of Stack Trace is also sponsored by Kanji. Kanji is an Apple Device Management, or MDM, solution that's built exclusively for teams at organizations that use Apple devices. It's a modern, cloud-based platform that lets you manage and secure your company's Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Apple TVs all centrally, which can save all sorts of IT teams countless of hours of having to repeatedly configure multiple devices manually. With features like one-click compliance templates and over 150 pre-built automation workflows. 
Recently, Kanji has also released three new core features, which include self-service, which is an app store-like app that gives end users access to a select library of applications and tools so that they can download what they need and when they need it without having to always ask the company's IT department about new apps and services. There's also Passport, which gives users a login experience that feels native to the Mac while still leveraging single sign-on credentials for a much more secure login and just a single password to remember for end users. Finally, there's Liftoff, which can help transform a newly unboxed Mac into an enterprise-ready computer with all of the right apps, settings, and security controls in place so that IT teams can now configure and deploy devices without ever touching them, which is pretty cool. So check out Kanji today using the link that's in the show notes. Thanks a lot to Kanji for sponsoring this week's episode of Stacktrace. All right, so we just have one final round left, and this is the all-in round where whichever bets we make, the one who makes the bet needs to bet five points and go all-in on their bet. And Rambo, looking at our list of bets here that remains, it's um, it's going to be risky, I think, no matter what we pick. <laughs> so uh, you're first, so which bet are you going to pick for your all-in round? All right, so because this is the all-in round, uh, I'm going to pick what I think is the safest bet in what we have left on the list and I'm going to pick that there's going to be a demo or demos of iOS 15.4 and or macOS 12.3 and or alright yeah Yeah, I think there's a lot of new stuff in iOS 15.4 and it's really easy for again people who listen to Stacktrace and ourselves to think, oh, but everyone knows what's in iOS 15.4, but that's not the case. And I don't know what's in <laughs> iOS 15.4, honestly. Like, I've, I've lost track. <laughs> yeah, and there are quite a few very mainstream features in there, like uh, unlocking with Face ID while wearing a mask without requiring an Apple Watch. Uh, there's all the universal control stuff, which apparently is finally shipping. They might want to demo that again and that would be both macOS and iOS. And there's the Face ID with different types of glasses now and new AirTag safety stuff. So I think there might be a a demo in in there or maybe at least just an announcement of like a, a rehashing of the features that are in the updated operating systems. Because the the dot four for iOS and macOS to some extent is usually a new features release. Uh, It's not Mm -hmm. just like a a minor update with bug fixes. It usually has quite a few new features and support for new hardware and services. So I think it's probable that there's going to be some form of presentation of these new OSs. Yeah, I think that's very likely because uh, we are now still three, four months, something like that, if going by the regular uh, calendar, (laughs) uh, until we will see uh, the next version of iOS, like iOS 16. So I think it makes a lot of sense to do that now. And you, of course, have to bet five points because it's the all-in round. Uh, I'm going to give this one a three because I think it's likely, but, you know, it's it's one of those things where it depends on how much other things they want to show. And they usually like to keep these virtual events, it feels like, around one hour. So if they have many other things to talk about, like the M2, if that does come out, then, of course, that will be a huge part of the show. So then 
let's see how much time they would have to recap iOS iOS features. But yeah, I think a three for me would be good. Uh, it's definitely likely, I think. Yeah, and again, putting things into perspective, you you said that we are going to see iOS 16 in June. We are going to see it, but for most of the world, iOS 16 is still quite a while away. It's going to be released probably in like September or October for everyone. And again, this is the type of event where CNN is going to talk about what Apple announces during this event and all of the like big media and things like that. So they probably want to fit in stuff for the mainstream public. Yeah, absolutely. And just from a personal perspective, like I joked about there, like I've kind of lost track of the iOS point releases, but it's like, it's sometimes hard to keep track, like what's in iOS 15.3 versus 15.4, right? And of course, like I'm up to date with all the API changes and and Swift changes and so on. But uh, when it comes to the actual user facing system features, like I think that would be good to get a recap of regardless, unless you've been like really reading all the news and keeping very good track of it, which of course most people probably haven't. Oh, this is also the point release of iOS 15 that's going to make everyone who's been holding back to update to iOS 15 because it has new emoji. Oh, right, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, the face ID changes can be huge. Like, you know, there was that unlocking with the mask, but only if you have an Apple Watch, but now it will be uh, even without the Apple Watch and with, with, you know, other kinds of improvements as well, which I think will be very welcome for a lot of people. Remember when they released the Face ID unlock with mask for with Apple Watch and people said it was too late? Right. right. I, I hope people were right, but unfortunately they weren't. <laughs> it wasn't yep. too late. Yeah, and it's also one of those features, like even after we quote-unquote go back to normal uh, pandemic-wise and we don't have to wear masks anymore, well, there's still people who wear masks, right? Yeah, and there's cultures, like in Asia, it's very common for people if they're sick to, to wear a mask and... Yeah, doctors and nurses and all of those people as well. Yeah, exactly. All right, so now it's my turn to uh, wrap up this poker game by making my all-in bet for this fifth round. And like I said, there aren't that many uh, kind of um, safe bets to make anymore in our list here that we've agreed on. So I'm going to go with one that is going to be a little bit wishful thinking, uh, but I think still is pretty likely, and that's that we will see a Mac Mini model or an option for the Mac Mini to be configured with an M1 Pro and or Max <laughs> chip to go with Rambo's strategy here. Uh, so a more powerful version of the M1 uh, to go with a Pro version or a Max version in the Mac Mini. And the reason I think this could be likely is because a big use case for the Mac Mini is in things like data centers or for automation Uh, Or just for a development machine. Like, I've used the Mac Mini since it came out as a development machine. Uh, So I think that that's definitely something that could be great for them to add. Of course, it might be a little bit strange if it also gets the M2. So it'd be like, do you want the M2 or the M1 Pro or the M1 Max? But I think the audience for that Pro or Max chip knows the difference, right? Like, you know, you don't buy the M1 Max if you don't really know what it is. I mean, I don't I don't think most people would anyway. So yeah, that's going to be my bet. And of course, I have to give it a five. So that's what I'm going to do. Nice. Yeah, I think uh, the, there's definitely a, a missing update to the Mac Mini. The top of the line Mac Mini Intel is still on sale. Right. And I think there's a lot of people who depend on that machine to the point where I'm not sure even if this uh, update that you mentioned is announced 
I'm not sure if they will completely drop the top of the line Intel Mac Mini just yet because for compatibility. Yeah, there's so much usage for that machine. Like people like the people of Mac Stadium who buy the machines for their data centers, and then there's the people who use them for continuous integration and render farms and whatnot. Lots of workflows that are very tricky and uh, are not ready just yet to completely switch to Apple Silicon. I don't know if you've been hit by any of this or if you've heard of it, but I recently learned that people who do screenshot testing of of apps are having issues moving their continuous integration to Apple Silicon because the screenshots are different that like there's a difference in the pixels or something in the rendering where the screenshot tests end up failing even though they shouldn't and and that's something to do like with how m1 renders the images or something so that that's just one example of a workflow that's disrupted by moving to to apple silicon so i think there's still work to be done there by both apple and third parties and if apple wants to keep that business, they should probably still provide the Intel Mac Mini for a while. Yeah, it's not something that I've been hit by personally, to be honest. But yeah, I absolutely like there's definitely a huge compatibility story here. And we have to remember it's a transition. It's not a cutoff point, yeah. right? It's not like here's the cutoff point for the Apple Silicon tran- uh, transition. It's a gradual thing and it's going to happen over time, even though they said they want to complete the transition within two years, which will, which will be at the end of this year. It doesn't mean that they will just stop selling any Intel computers. Like it might be that some remain like the Intel-based Mac Mini for a while for compatibility reasons. I think that's definitely something we can expect. Yeah, and completing the transition, uh, I think what most people think of when you mention completing the transition is there are no longer Intel Macs being sold. But I don't think that's what Apple means with completing the transition. I, I think what they mean is every Mac in the lineup has an Apple Silicon version on sale, but that doesn't mean necessarily that, oh, there's no longer Intel Macs. And I think Intel Macs are going to be around for quite a while. I would say it's probably safe to assume that at least like the na- next like five major versions of macOS are probably still going to be universal, maybe even longer. So... Yeah, Intel Macs are going to be around for for quite a while. Not sure for how long Apple will still actually sell them, but in terms of people still using them, really long time. Like, expect them to be around for a really, really long time. Yeah, it's kind of like that same dilemma with the touch bar that we talked about. Like, because people keep computers for much longer, I think in general, than they keep something like an iPhone, then, you know, you end up with this compatibility story where you have to just keep things compatible for a much, much longer time. And when it comes to hardware that is going to be used in context like data centers, that also means that you might need to keep them on sale, or at least it's a good thing to keep them on sale for that compatibility. So I think that makes sense. Yeah. But Rambo, with all of that discussion then, what do you think about this bet? How many points are you going to give it? Hmm, this is tricky. Let's go with... Um, I'm, I'm going to go with a four. I, I'm... I'm pretty confident that it's going to happen, but just not deserving of a five. (laughs) Uh, That makes me very happy to hear because I thought you were going to give this one much lower, like maybe even minus. So if you're going to give this one a four, then ah, I feel much better already. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right. And I think this was a really fun poker game. So hope you enjoyed listening to our predictions for Apple's upcoming peak performance event, which we'll, of course, 
watch and we will share our reactions to on the regular episode that is coming up next up on the show in our regular timing. So look forward to that one when we're going to share our reactions to the event. But until then, all that remains is to thank you so much, everybody, for listening and to our two sponsors, Kanji and Sentry, for making this episode possible. And until next week, I guess, technically, but in a few (laughs) days, uh, that's when we're going to talk to you next. So say goodbye, Mr. Rambo. Goodbye.